Evening all, welcome back to another episode of the Pyramid Podcast with myself, Murph, Tomo and Lauro. Uh, Premier League's back, so going to cover all the top stories from that. City win, Haaland at the double. Uh, Arsenal got over the line versus Forest, but not as one-sided as expected. Newcastle made a big statement versus Villa, who struggled. Uh, touch on the Sesedo and Lavia derby. Chelsea and Liverpool both look good, but both not great. Uh, Everton need a striker. Would Neil Morpai have scored by now if we were still playing? Uh, James Madison shines on Spurs' debut, but they look vulnerable. What are their options for strikers? Uh, we'll look at debuts around the Prem, move on to EFL and wider football pyramid and finish with a preview of Man United Wolves before Monday night footy starts. Boys, how are we? Tomo? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Um, just, just really enjoyed the Premier League's comeback. Um, it's been a long time. It feels like it's been a long time since it since we've been away. Obviously, we've no international tournament um, this summer. So yeah, so yeah, really excited to get sort of down into it. Laura, yeah, echo that. Um, enjoyed the weekend. Enjoyed the Premier League. Enjoyed the EFL. Enjoyed the non-league. So loads of fat to chew. Looking forward to getting into it. Good stuff. Well, let's start with Friday night footy, then, boys. Um, I think everyone started watching the Burnley documentary, uh, got firmly on the uh, Vincent Company hype train, uh, talks of Haaland's goal drought, and that lasted all of a few minutes uh, back to his deadly deadly form. What did you think of it? Um, yeah, well, we spoke, didn't we, on the last podcast about our predictions for the game. And unfortunately, my one came true. Um basically said that Harlem would score within a couple of minutes. And but actually I'll tell you what, I was I was impressed with Burnley's response to the first goal. I thought they did well up until the second goal. I thought they were the better team. They looked good going forward. Probably clearly the sort of the difference in in, in quality between the two leagues showed in the sense that Burnley created a few openings, few chances, but couldn't quite get their finish away. And then obviously Harland, what that that second finish was special. Like it was just like completely ruthless. In the interview after the game, he he told Jeremy Carragher and Gary Neville like exactly what he knew that Alvarez was going to set him up, and he knew he was going to hit it first time. And it just it was it was just class to be honest. And I think I think I'm right in thinking we we all captained him on that FBL, so we're all happy in a way, even though we're United fans. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good game, and I, I really enjoyed it to be honest. Um, but but City City are City at the end of the day just too strong. Yeah, I think Company used it as a little bit of a free hit. To be honest with you, that I think two of their best players from last season in Zorori and Benson were left on the bench. They went to a back three, which I don't think they played for the entirety of last year. Um, and yeah, I was just quite surprised with how they set up. Um, I think there was lots of new signings in amongst it, and I think Company just thought probably a difficult game to come away with three points. Let's have a look and sit, have a look at some of these players in Premier League action, um, and yeah, they've got a free week this week because Luton haven't got a ground ready at the moment. So a couple of weeks to go back to the drawing board and and maybe start their season for real. Um, I think it might be against Villa in a couple of weeks. So yeah, a little bit disappointed to be honest with you because I, I expected a little bit more from Burnley. Um, but yeah, I don't think they'll they'll be in any kind of trouble this year. And okay, what you said about Haaland just deadly, particularly that second goal. It's just as soon as it dropped, you knew it was in the back of the net. Just Please. a quick one, Snort. Let me just jump in quickly. So, because maybe, maybe we were a little bit on the Burnley documentary hype train a little bit, because I've just got a little stat here. Basically, Man City have won their last eight games against Burnley, um, and the aggregate score is 25-0. <laughs> so, like you say, Lauro, it was basically a free hit because, because of that record. Um but yeah, we probably should have. We should probably should have given Man City a bit more credit in our. Yeah, it, Man City were obviously always going to be difficult to get any kind of win against. But all that, that those stats were all against Sean Dyche's Burnley, weren't they? We were looking for Vinnie Company's Burnley to be a bit different, and like you say, they showed glimpses. But um, you know, a bit huff and puff. I think. Yeah, in well, the end of, you, you of forget that. Win. Yeah, you forget. Well, we we do forget that City played Burnley last season in the FA Cup quarter final. I think it was, and yeah, they lost yeah, six true. nil, or they yeah. City beat them six nil. But yeah, other than that, you are right. They they would have just dominated Dodgeball. But I watched that game, and Burnley were actually good in that game. But 
I think they I think they had probably had more of the ball and maybe the better chances for a good amount of that game and then suddenly the ball fell to Haaland, one goal, two goals, and it was over before you knew it. So similar story with Man City, not the easiest team to draw context of how good Burnley are. But um yeah, look forward to seeing them in maybe some more competitive games than that. Yeah, good good stuff, chats. Um couple points just to pick up on from that game. Uh first, obviously the city side um, managed to do it with with then uh, Grealish and Stones wasn't in the squad, but they those guys not getting any minutes, which uh, are obviously two important players from last year. They brought off the bench new signing Garvadol, uh, Kovacic, Laporte, Cole Palmer, uh, Calvin Phillips no minutes, but on the bench as well. Um, they just look as as strong as ever. Um, and obviously we spoke last week about Pakatar. Tom, I don't know if any movements on that deal the 100 mil move for him I think he played for West Ham didn't he in the weekend he played for West Ham Moisey come out and basically said look everyone's got a price and fair play he basically said that Paquette has had his head turned but then wouldn't you if you were if like you were going to go to City under Pep so and the story tonight is that City are preparing a second bid 70 million plus 10 million add-ons, so 80 million quid, which will be about 100 million euros. I don't know how it converts, but I expect that one to happen. And um, and they're, they're, they're looking at Jeremy Doku as well, who's um, who got a standing ovation for his performance in France on the weekend. Um, so, Is he the Belgian? Yeah, the Belgian, 21-year-old yeah. winger. I think he they want him to replace Mares. So if they get Doku and Paqueta, then they'll probably win the lot again. But yeah. Let's um maybe we should move on to to an- another fixture because I'm sick yeah. of talking about City being class. I, I do just I, just before we move on, I just wanna I just wanna raise one more point and then we'll we'll get on to Arsenal next. Um, I don't know if you well everyone would have seen it. Uh, two 0 up at half time. Haaland's walking off the pitch and he's having an argument with Pep, and Pep then the the sky cameras are following them and then Pep turns and pushes the camera. I saw something earlier with. Shearer and Mika Richards might have been from Match of the Day, with Shearer basically saying that he'd be royally pissed off with that because um, mm. basically wait till you get back into the changing rooms. If you're that desperate for it not to be seen on camera, why are you then pushing cameras away that are just doing their job? So just your your thoughts on, on that and that from Pep? Well, that's that's the one thing I really dislike about Pep. And obviously you can't say too much against him, but... I. It was another one of those instances where it was sort of like, look at me, even though we're 2-0 up and we're dominating the game, I'm really still not happy and I'm shouting at the players and I want more and look how um, much of a perfectionist I am. It's like when they're 5-0 up and he's screaming at the players on the sidelines and then they get to the Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid the year before last. They're behind and then he's slumped saying nothing in the dugout. So without digging into him too much because he's obviously very, very good. I agree with Shira there. Just wait. If you don't want the camera, firstly, don't touch the cameraman's camera. Um, And if you don't want him to film you, do it in the dressing room. Um, So I I just think he does that for show sometimes. And I'm not a fan of it. I agree. And the one, the one that pissed me off the most was the Nathan Redmond one. Um, when I think he did it, he did it for Southampton and he was, te- he was telling Nathan Redmond how much of a good player he is and how he should be playing sort of like good football, blah, blah, blah. Um, but with respect to this incident, actually, I don't think he did much wrong. Like He's basically having a go at Haaland for having a go at Bernardo Silva. Um, but yeah, that's just Pep, in it? He's just so intense. I don't, even, I don't think he does it on purpose. I just think he's such an intense bloke that he just... He just has these sort of outbursts and it does look like it is a bit sort of for the cameras, but but yeah, it is what it is. I mean, you take it as a City fan and and as City players with, with what he's achieving. So, yeah. So, boys, let's move on then. Uh, move on to the lunchtime kickoff from Saturday. So, Arsenal uh, kicking their season off, beating Forest. Uh, actually, I didn't get to watch the game live. I was stuck in traffic on the way back from London, but obviously... Listened in on the radio, uh, listened a bit about the uh, troubles beforehand with moving all to e-ticketing and fans not being able to get on and it being delayed by half hour. Um, but game did get underway, start with, and looked like it was going to be one-sided. Uh, Inketia scoring, I think his 16th goal in 18 starts, and then Saka picking up where he left off and hopefully showing us all that it wasn't a one-season thing. Uh, I take it you boys both watched the game. Thoughts on Arsenal? 
Um, yeah, I was really impressed. Like the first half, like they were electric. Like um, Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, they just looked, and, and Ketia, they were just running all over Forest. Um, Declan Rice, I thought, had a good a good game, a solid debut. Jurian Timber looked good until he got injured. Um, and like you said, I was actually basically expecting, and I had Saka in my fantasy team, I was expecting Arsenal to to go on and route, route them at the Emirates. Um, so I was actually quite impressed with Forrest in the second half. I was really impressed with um, Forrest when Awanyi and Alanga came on. Um, I just thought Alanga's pace was frightening. Obviously, we've seen it a couple of times at Old Trafford and, it, and with United, but I never thought he sort of had the quality to to deliver but obviously it'll be get it'll be given a chance at forest and it like that that run for the goal for a one year was was different gravy so yeah i was actually impressed with Forrest's sort of mini comeback um so it showed arsenal's vulnerabilities in the title race i thought but they also they they excited me the first half was really exciting so so positives all round really i'd say yeah, I, I just thought job done from Arsenal. I mean, again, we've only had one game this season, so you've only, you've got less to draw context from, haven't you? And some people have said Arsenal were underwhelming, but 2-1, three points, on to the next one. I don't see any problem with that at all. Like you say, they were quite good. And when you've got a team like Forrest, who do have some sort of quick, energetic, exciting players going forward, you're always going to be susceptible to a couple of attacks, but they managed to keep them at bay. Um, agree with you, Alanga looked good when he came on for Forrest, and I think I think we said it about someone else the other day. Maybe sometimes when these players come out of the show a little bit and go to a Forest instead of a United, he can puff out his chest a little bit more and think, I can be a man to make a difference here rather than being the youngster off the bench every week. Um, and, and it looked like that at the weekend. And you touched on a one-year away with you, however you say his name as well. Thought, thought he looked very good. I always think they look better when he's in the team. Every time I watch them, he's a right handful. He's either you know, holding the ball up and putting someone else in or having a shot or scoring a goal. Um, and I'm surprised he doesn't get more game time, but I'm sure he will if he keeps on playing like he did at the weekend. Yeah, so he, he, he actually missed quite a lot of games through injury last year. So I actually think if he stays fit this year, I think they'll be fine. Um, uh, I, I think there was a stat um, knocking about last year. Basically, um, he scored a goal every 155 minutes of play. So he didn't actually play that much. Mm. Um, no. But for... But for someone who's playing up front for a Forest side, a goal every 155 minutes is great. And actually, when you watch him sort of on the telly, like you can tell that his goal scoring ability is not exact, like not the the strongest part of his game. But at like bringing people into play, occupying two centre halves, that's what he's great at. So I think if he stays fit, I, I predict. I know it's early on, but I actually predict they'll be fine. And how I agree. You- I agree. How did your boy Morgan Gibbs White do, Tomo? I know you're number one fan. No good. Nah. So my prediction, to be fair, he, I just think he, him, and Forrest got run all over in the first half. Um, so they struggled, and I thought he struggled. But like as Forrest grew into the game, I think so did he. I just, but yeah, look, it's Arsenal away at the Emirates. It's a tough fixture. So yeah, we move on from that that prediction. Yeah, we won't judge Morgan based on that. I watch match today. I think. He had a half a chance at 2-1. I think Alanga cut the ball back again and yeah. he hit over. But uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that. Right, we are going to jump forward now to the half fives. We'll come back to the three o'clock kickoffs that day. Um, I want to start up front by saying that I think I made a prediction that Newcastle wouldn't be in the top four, um, might potentially struggle based on last season. But um, I, I watched that after going and watching the over. We'll come on to that later. And I was... Really, really impressed with them. Lauro, thoughts on that game? They were electric, weren't they? Um, I just thought I, the best way you can describe it is they just blew Aston Villa away. It's one thing to perform that well and to have so many individual good performances as well. But against a very good team that a lot of people were predicting to be that side that maybe comes out of the pack this year and finishes quite high, or at least in a European spot after such a good end of the last season under Unai Emery. Um, I thought that was really telling. And Eddie Howell just can't do any wrong. Because when I looked at that lineup, I thought, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised maybe Harvey Barnes didn't start the game because sometimes when you've only been at a club a few weeks, it will take you a while to, um, you know, solidify your starting position. But I thought maybe Jalinta would start on the left or maybe Isaac and Wilson would start. But to start Anthony Gordon and then for him, I thought to be one of the stars of the show in every aspect of his game after not doing an awful lot last season 
Um, yeah, like I said, he can't do a lot wrong. And I thought Alexander Isak was frighteningly good. And I mean, like Real Madrid, Barcelona, elite Champions League type level performance, good. Um, and is very, very scary for the rest of the league and will be coming into my fantasy football team as soon as I can afford him. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing I would add to that, because obviously I agree, I basically agree with everything you say. The one thing I'd add to that is just how fit Newcastle looked compared to Villa. Like Villa played that that high line, which is all well and good. But if your midfield four, midfield three aren't like pressing violently, then it just like you just get picked apart. And they obviously got picked apart. Didn't help that Ming's got his injury. And clearly, like, I I, I don't know what you guys think about this. They, they did the whole Forza Emmy t-shirts behind the, um, before the game. It's like, like, as if he died. He's just injured his ACL. I didn't particularly like that. Um, but yeah, what I will say is I was mightily impressed with Tenali. Um, mm. Obviously, you get the, the comparisons with Perlo, basically, because he looks like him. But actually, he's got like a bit of Perlo slash Gattuso slash Kaka in him. Like, obviously, that's rating High him. High praise indeed. Hey? High, high praise indeed. Yeah, yeah, high praise, yes. It's probably rating him too highly, but just in terms of, I just think he's he's basically not just a DM. Like, or not, do you know what I mean? No. He, he, he looks like he's got everything. And he could have, like, he could have scored twice, apart yeah. from Emmy Martinez um, made a good save straight after his first goal. But yeah, I'm really impressed with Newcastle. But it'd be the one thing just to sort of say about that is obviously it's the first game of the season. When they get start playing two games a week with the Champions League, things might change. But they the St. James's crowd just sounded great. I, I really enjoyed that game. Um, yeah, I think you're right about the St. James's crowd as well, because for a long probably for the duration of the Mike Ashley tenure. That was sort of a place where it never really got going and almost worked against Newcastle a lot of the time. But now now it's just as soon as they get their backs up, which is normally pretty early on in the game, it, it feels just like they're sucking the ball into the back of the net. And you said how much energy they had. They had those three in midfield that were so good on the turnovers. And then when you're playing a high line against whether it's Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes, Alexander Isaac, even Miggy on the other side, that are all pacey and all direct and all want to score themselves. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, and also, just another quick thing, how good is Eddie Howe at managing, like, just to take the Isaac and Callum Wilson, both number nine starting material players, that that could be quite a difficult thing to manage, where you either try and get them both into a team and it doesn't work, or you have one that's unhappy. But he seems to manage that whereby sometimes they both play, sometimes one plays, and when the other one comes on, they always seem to score or assist. Um so, yeah, high praise for Newcastle, high praise for Eddie Howe and uh, exciting times ahead, I think. Yeah, he's he's riding crest for a wave, Howe. He is doing very, very well. Um, just another, obviously, we spoke about Champs League starting to happen. Have they got the squad depth, that sort of thing? Just to add as well, their next three fixtures, they go away to Man City, they then host Liverpool and then go away to Brighton. Uh, so... Big three games coming up. Obviously, nothing's won or lost in the first four game of the season. But if Newcastle got some positive results from that, then, you know, I think everyone would sit up and take a look at that. So be interesting to see how that goes. Um, the other the other thing on that game for me is obviously everyone heard the talk sport uh, of Bong Lahore combined Man United and Villa 11. Uh, I got a, a friend I played footy with who's a Villa fan who uh, had it 10-1 to Villa. Um, allowed me to have Rashford in the team. Uh, so I've revisited that with him um, and he's allowed me to now have Wan-Bissaka at right back as well. So managed to get it to 9-2, uh, which is good. So we're making positive strides in that. Uh, so next, boys, um, we'll move on to Sunday because uh, I want to want to pick up on this game and what was the Saicedo-Lavia derby. Uh, Chelsea-Liverpool, I thought both looked really good in spells, both looked really vulnerable in spells. Uh, neither team there. Both looked like they were missing something in midfield from a holding perspective. Um, but Tomo, if you were a fan of either club, who do you think has got the happiest set of fans? Well, yeah, I would say Chelsea, just for the simple fact that they finished the game stronger, definitely had the stronger second half. Um, and... To be honest, I just really love watching. I know he's he's really expensive, and he's probably the reason why so many DMs are going for a hundred million plus this this summer. But I really, really enjoyed watching Enzo Fernandez play football. He just sort of just 
he just sort of strides across the pitch like he just like like he owns the place and he's just I just love watching him play and I, I you can almost when you see him play you can almost feel like and you can see his sort of mind working where it's like one or two steps ahead of everyone else um but yeah so and I actually we spoke about this in a WhatsApp group I, I wondered what you boys thoughts were on Nico Jackson because I actually really liked him although obviously pretty rash with his finishing, but I actually really liked his performance. So I thought he was athletic, raw, powerful, pacey, but yeah, maybe struggled on his finishing. But I thought if you compare him to say Kai Havertz, who offered them basically nothing going forward last year, he at least he's like a focal point and something to work off. Um, but yeah, what do you think of him? Yeah. Um, just going back to, I agree with you on Enzo Fernandez. I thought I actually thought he was the difference in the game. I think Liverpool started as they quite often do, you know, sort of full-blooded attack and finding spaces and sort of the other team taking a while to adjust. But I thought once the tie turned a little bit and Chelsea got their foot on the ball, Liverpool were crying out for that central defensive midfielder that they're trying to sign and, and don't seem to be able to get hold of because they just didn't have anyone to turn the tide. And I thought I I thought from maybe the 30th minute onwards, it was pretty much all Chelsea. And the only thing Klopp could do come the end of the game was take off Mo Salah, throw on a couple of, well, Harvey Elliott and the, the young lad, Doak, was it, um, to try and change things up and, and get some more energy in there. So I agree with that. But um, I think that I think Jackson's going to have a lot to work on if he wants to be... Like, he, there was a lot to like about him in terms of, like you say, his athleticism, his involvement in the game, his energy... But you can't be missing chances like that every week. I thought, he, you know, there was a couple of guilt edge chances that he could have put away there and turned that one point into three. So, obviously, they've got a good coach there now in Pochettino and hopefully he can get the most out of him. But, um, yeah, quite wasteful, I thought, in front of goal, albeit, like you say, probably quite endearing to the Chelsea fans with how energetic and involved he was in the game. But I thought as well that... He, he struck me in everything a Chelsea striker has been over the last few years. Now, take Havertz out of that with that kind of dynamic, the pace, that sort of thing, because I think he was multi-positioned. I thought that kind of uh, Lukaku, uh, Werner, looking back, Morata, Batshuayi, all of those sort of like, they look quite athletic. They look quite strong. They seem to get into positions, but just just wasteful in front of goal. I, I, he doesn't... The chances that he had from there, and obviously it's early to say, he doesn't strike me like somebody who's going to get you 20 Premier League goals, which if you're going to be a top four side, you you probably need from a centre forward um, or a, a forward thinking player. So I'll, I'll obviously give him time. I'm not going to judge him off Liverpool at home. But uh, yeah, if, he, if he's going to be the main man through the middle for Chelsea this year, then I think he'll have to work on his, his finishing. Um Tomo, just to go back to, to what we coined Sasedo Lavia Derby, just wondering if you could give us a bit of an update on latest for both transfer dealings and, and whether I know Sasedo, I think here we go with Fabrizio, but uh, anything to add on Lavia as well? Well, yeah, so just as we're talking now, I'm typing, I'm tweeting about Sasedo is now a Chelsea player, contracts are medical done, and then Lavia, just before we come off air or come on air, um, Ornstein tweeted saying he's chosen to join Chelsea, which I know we chatted about this before we come on. I'm actually surprised about it a little bit because I don't think Lavia goes in and plays as much as he would if he had joined Liverpool. Um, I think, obviously, with Caicedo, basically, it would be like Caicedo, Gallagher and Enzo or Caicedo, um, Enzo and... Chukwemenka, I don't think Lavia will be an automatic starter. When, but then when you looked at Liverpool yesterday, it was they were crying out for a DM, like absolutely crying out for one. And if if he goes to Liverpool, he's just a starter. So and I, I I do get the argument that he'll probably earn more money at Chelsea. He'll probably sign a twelve year contract, so he secured his family's future. Blah blah blah. But as a player, I would I would join. Liverpool over Chelsea in that particular context. Um, I don't know. What what do you think, um, Murph? Well, for me, I've, I think that you're right that his decision thinking there is like a eight plus one year contract where 
he can guarantee a pot of money for a certain amount of time. But in my mind, at 19 years old, with someone who's clearly got the potential to play at the top level, that's a really, really worrying chain of thought, trail of thought, if it is that, where a player is already thinking about what he's going to make over the next eight years. Do players ever tend to stay anywhere for eight years? Probably not. So he'd move on within that time. Uh, if he's any good, then he'd sign a new deal on new terms within that. If he's not, he'd leave. I guess he's got a bit of stability there about getting his contract paid out if if he's got years left on it. But from a Liverpool point of view, I'd be thinking, look, if he wants to go and sit on Chelsea's bench and earn the most money that he can, then maybe he's not right for us uh, anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I think that if he does go to Chelsea, that would speak more volumes on him rather than, than anything else. Like, just just to add on that, just not that I'm a huge Lavia fan, but he might think he's better than Caicedo, or he might think he's can get in the team at yeah, the start. True. No, he's a young footballer. He might aspir have aspirations to challenge his way and work his way into the first team, um, which isn't you know beyond the wit of man for him to do because he does look like quite a good player. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And but let's let's just put it this season in, into perspective. Chelsea have no European football. Liverpool are playing Europa League, so even if he's not, do you know what I mean? So like, he'll get more games at Liverpool. No, no, I agree. I was just going to say, in the, like you said, in this context, it's quite surprising that he, because he will just start for Liverpool. Um, but I was just playing, not devil's advocate, but just putting another spin on it. He might think, oh no, I'll go and play for Chelsea. And um, you know, sometimes it's the London thing as well, isn't it? Players yeah. want to go to London rather than go up north or whatever. So. I'm sure there's multiple facets that come into the decision-making. But, yeah, I agree with you. I, I'd be going to Liverpool if I was him because he just sits in that midfield and it's exactly what they need. Yeah. Another thought on that. Who who started in midfield with Enzo and Conor Gallagher? Was it? Chuck Wamenka. Yeah, I rated him. So, yeah, but Lavia might be thinking, well, there's place for space for both of us. If Conor Gallagher goes, could their midfield be Enzo slightly full of uh, further forward. He looked like he was pulling the strings and mm. Saicedo and Lavia next to each other. Suddenly, does that look like a, well, it would be a close to 300 million pound midfield between the three of them. He might be thinking, well, hang on, I will start. I don't need to be better than Saicedo. I'll start alongside him. Yeah. So, right. So anyway, before, before we move on, Snort, let me just have my Andy Gray and uh, Richard Keyes moment. So just, I want to leave you with this. Um, Douglas Louise, Liverpool. I'm not going to laugh at you. Uh, and I'm not speechless either. The the thing I'll say with Liverpool, I think that would be a great, great signing, by the way. I, I do really rate Dougie Louise. The one thing I'm going to say to that now is Liverpool have found themselves in the most horrifying position where there's a couple weeks left till the deadline goes. Everyone knows they've got money because they were willing to put 110 up the back of Saicedo. Laffey has turned them down where they've offered 60. So it's like, it reminds me of United, mate. It really does. Desperation towards the end of the window. We know you've got the cash there because you were going to drop it on Sosedo. You've got two weeks to get this sorted. And we know you need one, probably two midfielders. I think they'll end up paying a really, really overinflated price for someone. And, you know, if you have Villa and he came, if they came in for someone like Dougie Louise, you'd just yawn and go 100 mil. I'm speechless. <laughs> Lauren, what Douglas Louise Liverpool? Yeah, not for, not for a hundred million. I'm I'm not as sold on Douglas Louise being a, a Champions League title challenge winning material midfielder. Um, I'd need to see a little bit more. But there, I, don't, I was just thinking, who else is there? I'm not sure there's an awful lot of options available to them at the moment. So, um, maybe. Oh, just a quick and just a quick one because I've got one thing on my notes that I did wanted to ask you boys about. So, Reese James, new Ch Chelsea captain, um, came off. Pochettino said he was tired, not injured. Mm, I was a little bit suspect about that. Do you think making Reese James captain, considering he's the most injury-prone player I've ever seen, do you think that's a good good shout, or would you you'd want sort of a durable player who's going to play every every minute, wouldn't you? Yeah, I I guess that he's the academy boy now that Mason Mount's gone, but you got Thiago Silva there, who's a ready-made leader. Whether Poch is thinking Silva's got one, two years max left in him, so we don't want to then be doing a recaptain, but someone who can't stay fit. Uh, 
I'm not sure on that. My my only trail of thought with Reese James previously in the window was if Carl Walker was going to go to Bayern Munich, would we suddenly just see City have bid like a hundred mil for Reese James and trying to to turn his eye? I thought about that previously about Capitrim at City, but no, I, I I just can't think who the other leaders are at Chelsea that they go for. Silver seems the obvious one, but he's going to he's 38 and he's going to be gone in a year or two. So yeah, yeah, I I agree. Seems a little bit of a weird one considering he seems to play a couple of games at the start of every season, then get injured for, you know, over half the season or whatever. But maybe it's just a little bit of a carrot that they've dangled in front of him to give him, I don't know, a little bit more impetus in trying to stay fit. But no one's trying to get injured, are they? So it's a difficult one to explain. Just very quickly as well on yesterday, you just reminded me because I thought Chilwell and James played well um, and they were very high up the park and made it difficult for Liverpool. We didn't see an awful lot of Trent or Robertson going the other way like we did when they were so good, did we? And it, I mean, nothing. I can't remember Robertson getting forward hardly at all and causing much problems and not even Trent either. So either that's another really good plus point for Chelsea that they managed to snuff that out or are we seeing the end of that? I mean, because for a while they were formidable, weren't they? The pair of them. No one could get anywhere near them. Yeah, I, I think with, with Robertson, I spoke spoke last week on the pod about... Uh, friend of mine who supports Liverpool saying Robertson's not looked great and they're they're a little bit worried about him I wonder with the Trent thing as well is like his like this transition of you need to move into midfield maybe means that we're going to see him playing in a weird way deeper because he's not overlapping or bombing on or he sort of yeah. you know he played that through ball for the Salah offside goal but he wasn't sort of in around the box, whereas Chelsea, it was like you suddenly, I mean, both they got, the, well, with the Chiuo disallowed one and the, the goal, it's like you just had your fullbacks kind of highest up the pitch. And yeah, um, maybe, maybe it is, you know, Robinson might be burnt out after a fair few years of doing that now and Trent having to get used to what's this now hybrid joining midfield role. Boys, we best move on. Um, Loro, Tomo, we all did our predictions where Harry Kane would be this year and next year. I think we had Tottenham, 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 Man United and Tottenham. I think I might've even gone Liverpool. Uh, 24 hours later, completed his move to Bayern Munich. Um, had a chance to win a trophy, lost 3-0. Danny Olmo hat-trick. So not gone to plan from there, but we spoke about that at length. Let's talk about Tottenham now. Son made captain. Uh, what did you think of their performance against Brentford and particular James Madison? Yeah, I thought he was really good. He, we we all like we all know his quality. He was he's he's class when he's fit. He was, he was Leicester's best player. Um, and he and his whip, his whip for Romero's first goal was just like absolutely salubrious. Um, I was I was really impressed with Eves Basuma, who sort of like is a player we've all sort of forgot forgotten about because, um, basically because he was injured for a lot of last season, didn't quite do well, but then no one did well under Conte last season. And then that Dennis Adogi, the young left back, I, I was really impressed with. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, I think that will be, that game there will basically be a microcosm of Tottenham's season. They'll be, they'll look good going forward. Um, might not have the cutting edge because they don't have Kane anymore. And Richarlison's not like an elite finisher, even though he is Brazil's number nine. Um, and then obviously they'll look vulnerable go like on the way back and, and I thought Brentford could have had a couple more. Tottenham could have had a couple more. It's it quite an enjoyable game. But yeah, I thought a draw was a fair result. Laura, I agree. I thought, I thought draw was a fair result. I think and I, I think I predicted when I thought Kane was going to be there that Tottenham win 5-0. And I apologise for that because it's probably not giving the most credit to Brentford. Because you've got to remember, that's that's a tough place to go. A lot of, a lot of clubs go there and struggle to get anything. I mean, Man United's the obvious one that sticks out last season. They're a very good side, well coached at home. So I think for Ange Postacoglu's first game, there was lots of positives. You've touched on most of them. The the left back was really good, Udogi. Um, Basuma, I thought was brilliant. I actually thought he was the best one on the pitch. Um, James Madison, I know it's got the captain's armband after, was it Romero went off? So obviously um, he sort no, of... No, Son, Son, Son was the captain. Oh, sorry, when Son went off. When yeah. Son went off, they gave it to James Madison, which was I just thought that was quite surprising, but good for him. Oh, they obviously see him as a as a senior player. They need a striker. Um, but I thought they looked good, well-organised, um, and well-coached as well. I was watching Kulovzeski on the right like a hawk 
because I needed him to have a shot on target for one of my bets. And I was really annoyed at him um, from my point of view because he was being far too disciplined in the way that he was playing. But I did notice he was tracking back well. He was making sure that they were... Um, you know, they had numbers behind the ball. He was keeping close to the touchline um, in possession. He was coming in when it was on the other side. So um, I think there's lots to be pleased about for a Tottenham fan. But you know, again, we'll see a lot more as the, you know, after five or 10 games, what Posta Cockley's Tottenham are all about. But I think the biggest thing is I do think they're going to need a striker because, yeah. I mean, Richarlison didn't score. He scored any last year, did he? Scored one Premier League League goal. But just a quick one on that captaincy issue. Little little social media quirk for you boys. Obviously, Postacoglu announced Son to be the captain and then Romero and Madison to be his vices. And in response to this, Eric Dier unfollowed unfollowed Tottenham on all social medias. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Eric. Um, Well, I think think that sort of... Proves why he's not um, captain. Yeah, I think that just justifies their decision yeah, if he's going to be that petulant. Sorry, yeah. Eric, but um, not what we're after in our captain this year. No, don't need that, Eric. Thanks. Uh, boys, we've got to move on, uh, but I will ask you this. Uh, Richarlison currently will be playing up front for Tottenham. When we hit September, in one word or two, if you want to include the first name, uh, who will be Tottenham striker? Tomo? Richarlison. Lauro? Lukaku loan. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, sorry for that. Um, so, right. So, covered Sunday. Uh, very quick wrap up of the 3 p.m.s on Saturday that we had. So, uh, I know from an FPL perspective, everyone was very intrigued to watch Brighton. Um, I thought they looked good from the, the highlights that I saw. All the kind of key protagonists from a fantasy point of view got involved. Um, Luton did manage to, to get a penalty and get off the mark in the Premier League, but uh, good result for Brighton. You boys impressed with them? Yeah, so just quickly, here's my FPL prediction for the season. S2 Pinyan will be in 90% of teams within about three weeks. He is fucking unbelievable. And um, I imagine he'll be another one they'll be selling for 60, 70 million come next summer. Um Matoma, obviously great, great assist for was it Jao Pedro's goal? Was it or Solly uh, March? Solly yeah, Solly March's goal. That's it. Sorry. And then um, just linking back to Tottenham strikers. Obviously, we've spoke about this a lot. Evan Ferguson come off the bench looked great. Obviously, every single time he's played for Brighton, we've all been mightily impressed with him. And we've gone back and forth, Loro, on this. I don't. I think he he should stay at. Brighton and obviously play as much as possible this season but this is the cheapest he's ever going to be so for a Tottenham point of view if you're going to sign him and he seems like a Harry Kane ready-made replacement well not ready-made replacement but long-term replacement um, he's the cheapest they're going to be now just go and get him it'll probably be 80 70 80 million but you've just you just got that for Kane so what do you reckon yeah I think he's the perfect replacement um, but when you've got two football clubs like that, where one of them is Brighton, who are making a name for themselves as being very difficult to get players out of unless you play a massive premium, and on the other side of it, you on the other side of it, you've got Daniel Levy, who seems to put business acumen above um, what comes out on the pitch. I think that's a bit of a recipe for disaster and probably a bit of a non-starter in terms of the tangibility of that happening. But yes, I think, without being lazy with it, I think Evan Ferguson looks like a new Harry Kane to me. I, I mean, we've all said it as soon as he started playing uh, probably about a year ago, didn't we? Just you, f- you think, like, who on earth is this kid? He looks brilliant every time he's on the pitch. Just the way that he carries himself, the way that he speaks off of it as well. Um, mightily impressive. But Luton were very, very sloppy, just to add, um, in that game. I mean, I'd, you know, you don't expect them to come up and win every week, but I thought they'd be very difficult to play against, at least. And I think we saw, look, anyone can go down to Brighton and get a chase in, but I don't think they had to work particularly hard for their goals. In a clumsy challenge for the penalty from Tom Lockyer, um, Pelly Ruddock messing about with it in the box just to leave, was it Andringer, who I've, another Brighton yeah. player I've never heard of, just to volley home. Um, I, I think they were really lucky to get the penalty themselves. Whoever it was it was given against wasn't even Dunk. looking at the ball. Dunk, yeah. So, 
Um, you know, work to do, I think, for Rob Edwards there. But um, yeah, I suppose as expected, comfortable Brighton win. Yeah, and yeah. another quick quick FPL point: João Pedro on penalties for Brighton, five point mm. five million striker. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, little I guess, bit roulette, aren't they, Brighton? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I guess it. I was going to say it depends. Because Ferguson, for me, I would just start him every every week. But depends if Ferguson plays and Jal Pedro. But Jal Pedro will just play him behind him. He, he looked good. I thought. Um, yeah, go on, then. Yeah, he's in my team, Ferguson. I was worried when you messaged Tomo saying that he was benched, but I think he'll come on uh, most games that he doesn't start. So, but yeah, Jal Pedro definitely one to watch. Although I think I think we spoke about this before, didn't we? As well, like Gross was had been on pens and things like that. Um, but yeah, solid start for Brighton. Uh, not unexpected, though. Uh, and then roundup of the other games, I think these games we briefly touched on in the last pod and we won't spend too much time on them here. But uh, Crystal Palace got off to a win against Sheffield United. Um, Odson Edwards scored. I think there was a couple disallowed goals in that game as well. Palace probably uh, looked a bit better than, than what the result said. But Tomo, impressed with Eze from what you saw? I thought he was really good. Yeah, I thought like he could he was unlucky not to get any FPL points really like in terms of an assist um the like match of the day did an analysis on Jefferson Lerma and he's just one that I completely forgot about like, and he's a free transfer from Bournemouth and that could like sneakily be the sign of the season just just for the basis that he was completely free and they did a bit obviously on match of the day on him and he looked he looked gravy and um one I completely forgot about but yeah I think Palace would be fine um, Sheffield United, obviously worried, but they they just brought in Hamer, so maybe they'll get a bit of a boost from that. But yeah, mightily impressed with Crystal Palace. Mightily impressed. When I saw one near, I thought probably about right. You know, expect Palace to win, but Bramall Lane opening game of the season, probably a fresh impetus and optimism around the place. Difficult place to go, but you expect them to win. Um, but like you said, they had two disallowed goals. They had two thirds of the possession. Decore and Lerma in midfield looked formidable. You've got two big, athletic, energetic blokes in there. And what they did, they just provided such a good platform for that front four, which was Schlapeze and AU and Edward at the weekend. Edward looking more like the player that we thought they were going to get from Celtic one or two years ago. And then I just looked at their team and like the centre backs are Joachim Anderson and Mark Gray, you know, two quite revered Premier League centre backs, neither of which you'd be surprised getting linked to a big team. You know, Tyreek Mitchell, young England this national at left back, Elise to come back into the fold. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's probably the story of Crystal Palace, isn't it? <laughs> a surprise package every year of being better than what you think they're going to be. But I was really impressed with them. Really impressed with them. Yeah, so just quickly on that, obviously there's a couple of weeks to go before the window shuts. It looks like Elise might be going to Chelsea. but it And, and I know Anderson's been linked with Liverpool, which is a strange one. I mean, I know they they do need a centre half, but so if they can keep those players, if they can keep Elise and they can keep Anderson, I think, and obviously Roy Hodgson's a good manager, so they'll be fine. Could could even yeah. potentially push top ten. Yeah, yeah, we see how that goes, and we saw that Roy still had the fire in his belly as well with his touchline scrap. Uh, and then finally, boys, last two games: West Ham and Bournemouth uh, play out a one 0 draw. Jared Bowen uh, off the mark and Solanke off the mark as well, although. Uh, reserve judgment on West Ham because all of their transfer businesses is still yet to be done. Um, and then finally, Fulham won away at Everton. I think very, very lucky to get those points. I think Leno got uh, 12 points in FPL with nine saves, probably eight of them from Neil Morpai, who can't buy a goal. Um, but Everton looked fairly strong, I thought. I think they desperately need a striker, whether that's DCL coming back in and he can rediscover his form but yeah I mean I think Dyche really deserved to be enjoying a glass of red with three points on Saturday and got badly let down yeah my, my takeaway from that was actually how good Everton looked like and if they can just get a striker fit I know DC, like DCL at the end of the day DCL he reminds me a little bit in fitness wise of like Martial like they're good players but if you can't rely on them you just have to build without them and um, it seems like they've just signed a, new, a young striker from Sporting, so maybe he can sort of pitch in. Um, I tell you what, I think I know this is a little bit out there, but I think they should go and sign like a Kalichi Ianacho or someone like that, just like 
just a Premier League sort of quality striker who can... Like, they just need someone, basically, because they've got a good midfield. Um, a Wobi I was mightily impressed with. Um, but yeah, I think that might be... If they don't sign another striker, that will be basically a sort of the, the story of their season. Good performance, just maybe can't get a goal. I agree. Um, obviously, toothless Everton, that's a story of just the last few years, really, since Dominic Calvert-Lewin's become really injury-prone. But just to patch those last two fixtures together nicely and round it off, I was watching Bournemouth, and I thought there's a couple of handful of teams, really, in the Prem that are looking for that striker, Everton being one, maybe West Ham, maybe Wolves. Dom Solanke, coming of age, 25, 26 years of age. Looks like he, it actually looks like he can do quite a lot of things well that you'd expect in the centre-forward. Um, hold up, plays good, he's good with his feet, gets on the end of stuff. Um and possibly, I mean, he's got one in one this year, which is a good record. I actually looked at his Wikipedia and expected to see him have a little bit more than the six goals that he scored last year. But I think he might be one that's due to come of age a little bit and um, possibly a target and an attainable target for those kind of teams. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad shout at all. Right, boys, we best move on. Um, Everton, uh, just, just to finalise, I've seen have been, I think they've got, Jack Harrison in on loan. So let's let's move on to uh to Leeds Loro and, and a bit about the championship. I think they had a bit of a late sucker punch, didn't they, against Birmingham, a, a penalty to lose one 0 Yeah. Yeah, they did. It was a not a lot happened in the game, but obviously, like I said last week, we've got Willie Nonto refusing to play. It sounds, although they haven't confirmed it, like Lewis Sinister is doing the same. Um Tyler Adams isn't there and we know he's open to go in. Jack Harrison's gone out on loan. So uh, the only thing I can say at the moment is I'm very impressed with Daniel Farker and the way that he's leading and um, the way that he's sort of approaching what's going on. There's a big transition to be had. We're learning lessons of how we've been running the past and, um, you know, see, seeing the downfalls of that. But I think he'll get a good few players in. I'm happy with Joe Rodon. If we can sign a striker and a couple of players that actually want to be there that Daniel Farker wants, we'll be fine. So I'm not reading too much into, you know, Dan James giving a penalty away in the 90th minute at Birmingham. Um, and I actually think we did okay with the team that we put out to even be in that game because there was a big buzz at Birmingham. They've got the is it Tom Brady, the big NFL player that's gone in up there. There was quite a big. It was the main thing on the EFL highlights. So um, I don't like the pink kit, but I'm happy with Daniel Farker, and I think we'll be fine. And um, yeah, or I like I've always said, I think August is just probably going to be one just to try and get through for us and see what we can um, do in the transfer window. And, and from September onwards, hopefully we'll be a different kind of outfit and proposition to play against. Good stuff. And then a bit wider, we obviously have touched on previous pods, the the other relegated sides. Now they've started. Um, Leicester followed up opening day win uh, with a win away at Huddersfield, probably as expected. Uh, we'll come on to Southampton in a bit, but they got a, a ding-dong four-all with Norwich. Uh, Coventry bounced back from opening day defeat at Leicester, beat Middlesbrough 3-0, which is a great result. Um, Plymouth went and got a draw at Watford after a strong start for them, followed that up with a great draw at, at Watford. So they look like they're adapting to life well. So, yeah, and Hull won again as well, uh, beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-2. Um, and Ipswich, again, beat Stoke, got another po three points. So McKenna started great there. So... Yeah, but let, let's focus in on Southampton lads for a couple of minutes. So four all, obviously a bit of a, a, a ding-dong game, but now have lost Ward-Prowse, who's obviously their main man. Lavia looks like he's going as well. Uh, opening day win, four all draw there. General thoughts on, on direction of them with those boys out the door? Yeah, well, obviously that game is just one of those mad championship games that you almost, you sort of, you're best not to overanalyze and just kind of like move on. But... What I did notice um, was another one who I think may be going out the door, I reckon my prediction, is Walker Peters. He's still there. He's a Premier League like quality player who should probably leave. Got Che Adams, contract situation. Um, I think he's not signed a new deal and his contract runs out next summer. So one to look out for, maybe potentially on the move. Um They'll be fine with Arm, like Armstrong up front, though. He's obviously a really good championship player. Um, I was quite impressed with um, Norwich. I didn't, I didn't. This one, I missed Ashley Barnes going to Norwich, and obviously watching that Burnley documentary, I was, I was impressed with his sort of leadership qualities that were sort of on show. Um, 
So one to look out for. I think he's a good sign-in. Obviously, he doesn't get that many. Oh, I didn't get that many goals in the championship last year, but um, the sort of documentary made me think he'll be he'll, he'll be a good player to have around the dressing room. Um, just a good game. Just one of those good championship games that just sort of makes no sense, but is really entertaining. I said a couple of weeks ago about Russell Martin. I said his biggest challenge will be still being there for long enough to have time to implement the style of football that he wants to play in amongst a transitional period in order to kick on and maybe, you know, reap the rewards of what he's trying to do. And in games like that, you've just got to make sure that you don't lose. And having Che Adams and Adam Armstrong up front, you're always going to score goals. In any league, if you've got two decent strikers, they will get you out of trouble. Um, because I, I actually thought Norwich looked really good. Um, Ashley Barnes is a good sign-in, so Stacey, um, who they took from Bournemouth. And they've got a bit of a wildcard manager there, haven't they? And David Wagner, who did a good job at Huddersfield, but seems to have failed miserably everywhere else he's been since. So be interesting to see how that one turns out. But... Um, yeah, I, I'm actually, I know Leeds are in the same league, but I'm hoping that, um, I think Flynn Downs will be a good signing, by the way, for Southampton. I think he's coming the other way from West Ham, um, obviously with Russell Martin at, at Swansea before. So he'll be a good addition to that midfield, a good replacement. Um, they've also got um, Nathan Teller, who you'll know from the Burnley documentary, was the top scorer last year for them. The only thing uh, I've watched <laughs> over the last four days. <laughs> Must have spoken so, yeah, about look, it ten times. Like you say, one of those manic championship games, but Southampton will be, you know, getting the penalty in the last minute and getting it converted, point on the board, move on. Um, and yeah, we'll see again. Five, ten games, we'll be able to assess more, won't we? But I think probably pretty promising times for Norwich. And um, yeah, Russell Martin would be glad to get out there with a point. Good stuff. And interesting to see as well of that uh, 90 mil from the two midfielders they'll get how much Russell Martin will be allowed to implement or get some players in through the door that he wants uh on to league one so uh results a bit less uh a bit more expected than than last week I should say uh Derby off the mark got a 3-0 win at Burton uh Bolton followed up opening day win with 3-0 win at Cheltenham uh, Cambridge, bit of the surprise in the first couple of days tipped to go down they won again away at Fleetwood uh, Portsmouth won at Leighton Orient and Peterborough beat Charlton. Um, Redden lost again there. So looks like that league's uh, teams that you're expecting starting to uh, starting to show up there. Um, but yeah, good good to see Derby get off the mark. My prediction, um, and hopefully they can they can kick on. And then on to League Two. Uh, so Wrexham, obviously the big team everyone's been speaking about in that league. They went and drew at Wimbledon, so doesn't look like that league's going to be easy. Loro, I think when we actually did the the initial kickoff for that, um, and I said about kind of Rex and Notts County Salford that it wasn't just going to be them and lead to a a hard league. So yeah, Notts County managed to get a win though. They beat Grimsby, Salford drew with Crawley, Stockport, who were expected to be up there, they uh, they actually lost again, so they've got no points in the first games. Lost at Warsaw, Loro's outside tip to go up. Um, so yeah, any anything in League Two particular you want to chat about, boys? No, nothing too in depth. I have it. I thought this before the start of the season. I thought Stockport, who obviously haven't started well, would win the league, and I thought Gillingham would be one of the teams that go up automatically. They've won twice. They look really strong. Um, and what they've got that the teams like Wrexham and Notts County don't have is a little bit of experience in that league, good momentum coming off the second half of last season, and obviously a good manager in Neil Harris. So I know you were surprised to see not at Millwall when we spoke about this last time. So, um, yeah, they're my ones to watch. I think they're going to be very, very good. And again, I've got them in a bet with Yeovil. So uh, fingers crossed they can carry on. But yeah, Gillingham for me. Good stuff. And then one thing I was absolutely shocked at, because one of the few Yeovil games that I got to watch in pre-season, or maybe the only game actually, where we beat Newport. Newport went and won 4-0. At home hmm. to Doncaster, which I'm shocked at. They look like they wouldn't string many results together, points together for it. So I uh, was pretty shocked to see that result, but probably a uh, a good way to move on to Yeovil. So obviously currently out injured. Uh, I went and watched Yeovil on Saturday. Uh, we won 2-1. I was 15 minutes late because of that traffic I was stuck in, missed the opening goal. And then tried to beat the halftime rush to get a pint uh, in 40 minutes. And we went and scored the second. So uh, I watched Yeovil win, saw neither goal. So, Loro, for someone who was there for the whole of the 90 minutes, what do you think of the Glovers? Well, we, we, we've we been losing, haven't we, for the best part of 10 years now. 
Um, and we're we, everything off the pitch that can be done to reverse that momentum um, has been done. Got great new ownership, lots going on around the ground, a decent budget and good players coming in. And all we needed this season is to get off the mark with a win. Um, obviously, it didn't have, happen at Hemel Hempstead the other day, but a nice early goal. Um, Jake Hyde and Reese Murphy both scoring for us on Saturday and both showing exactly what we haven't had last season, probably for a few seasons now. Um, and to get three points on the board ahead of another three home games in a row now was very, very pleasing. Good atmosphere at Hewish Park. Lots of people there. Hopefully they'll keep coming back. And um, yeah, we were both delighted, weren't we, with three points. And hopefully we can make that a lot more over the coming weeks. Just a yeah. quick one before we wrap up then, Snorker. Actually, I've got a question for you both. Obviously, you're both there. And I know you just mentioned then about um, going half time for a pint. But I, I saw the chairman announce that alcohol was not to be served during the game. Is that correct? Did, did that happen? Yeah. So when, when you drop down into National League uh, South, like regional football, basically the grounds that you go into aren't particular kind of stadiums. So you can have a pint and you can stand at the side of the pitch like you're watching, you know, lower league football with a pint watching it due to kind of the number of fans that you overall tend to got to tend to get this season, which if results keep up, will be closer to 3000. Um, I just think that from a security point of view, they've decided that people can't be taking pints into the ground right. uh, for the game. You can still go outside and have one afterwards. I think they've still got their corporate hospitality where you can have a beer um, before and after and during halftime of the game. So it's not the alcohol, not on the premise, just not in the stadium during the game, uh, which you'll be able to do at most away days. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, Yeovil looked good. Torquay lost, which was a bonus. Uh, we're both going to go and watch um, Truro home uh, tomorrow. So hopefully on Thursday's pod, uh, we can we can be celebrating another three points. Boys, conscious of time, but quickly want to look ahead to Monday night football before we wrap up um, United, and obviously we can talk about the result on Thursday with that as well. Uh, Laura, I'll come to you first uh, because me and Tom are going to have rather biased views, but. Um, what you're thinking for United this year and specifically what you're thinking for tonight against Wolves? Um, I, I think you'll win comfortably tonight against Wolves because Wolves are a team that are in disarray, aren't they? They've just lost their manager a couple of days before the start of the season. They've had their core ripped out of them with Raul Jimenez leaving, Ruben Neves leaving, Nathan Collins leaving. Um, two of them to Premier League clubs as well that you know would normally be seen as competition and a rival club, um, respectively. So I think I don't think Wolves are going to be good enough. To, it's at Old Trafford tonight, isn't it? I don't think they're going to be good enough to go to Old Trafford and get anything. And I expect a comfortable, you know, three nil odd win for Man United. Um, but I think your season will probably rest on how good the new striker is because I think you, you've got a really good midfield now. I think Mason Mount's a good sign-in. I think you look like you've got good balance in there with Casemiro and Fernandez. For me, like I said to you both earlier in the WhatsApp group, Rashford has to play on the left. That's his best position. He's even come out and said on one of the podcasts recently that, that that's only the only place he really wants to be playing. He struggles on the right and he gets bored up front. I think he said something similar too. So you want him in his best position. So... Um, yeah, hopefully that Rasmus Hoyland will, uh, will turn out to be a good signing. I like the look of him, but obviously he can't play tonight. But then again, I don't think you'll need him. So I expect a comfortable win for Man United. And I would at the moment say you are comfortably favourites to finish in the top four. Just a quick Thanks, one. I just a quick, quick one before we go. Chelsea have just announced Caicedo. 150 million right. British transfer record. 10 million more than Declan Rice, who you boys think is a much better player. Um, but yeah, good signing. <laughs> Tomo, final thoughts on United tonight. Looking forward to watching them. I know you sent me a three-minute montage earlier, which has got the juices flowing, but expecting goals and comfortable win tonight? Yeah, I agreed with everything Loro said, but um, in terms of tonight, I think we'll... Um, I, I think Rashford will get a couple. I think Garnacho will get a couple. I think um, Onana will have some scary, hairy moments, but... All in all, it'll be a comfortable win. Cool. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm actually going to make a bit of prediction. A, because I really want him to, uh, because I can't have Twitter calling him 007. But I think Mason Mount might score tonight and get his uh, United career off to uh, a good start in competitive fixtures. But boys, that's all we got time for. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We will look at how wrong we got the United prediction there. 
pick up on all the midweek action results uh, and any transfer news that have happened. But yeah, speak to you boys soon and speak to everyone else soon. Cheers.